Mostly it has to do with college game day. Now, you may be a professional sports fan, I have no idea. For me, I can take or leave professional sports. In fact, I, I really don't care about hardly any professional sports except baseball. I am pulling for the Cubs to finally win a World Series because I want to see the curse over and done with. But when it comes to college football, I grew up in the country of Haiti, and uh, all we got was Armed Services Radio way back then in Haiti when it came to American radio. And so I grew up listening to Ohio State football coached by Woody Hayes, all right, the real wacko dude, Woody Hayes. He was a good coach. That's about all you can say. But I love Ohio State Buckeyes. Now, I married into a family that were uh, Alabama fans. In fact, our family, Brenda and, and our two boys, moved to uh, Alabama, lived down in the deep south for 16 years. My boys grew up there. So if you ask my boys if they share their, if they share their dad's passion for Ohio State football, they will say Big Ten, <laughs> SEC, yeah, baby. All right, so my boys and my wife absolutely shun me whenever it comes to college football, all right? Um, and it, it is not a good time of the year. But when I think about college football, and I think about the United States of America, and particularly today, as we, as we remember September the 11th, the verse of Scripture that comes to my mind is John 10.10. 10. The enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus came so that you could live life to the fullest. In our lives, we are surrounded by enmity. We are surrounded by those, as a nation, we are surrounded by those who would love to take away our way of life, who would love to see us suffer. As human beings, we are surrounded by an enemy who wants to come and steal and destroy our hearts spiritually. And so just like we had to go and root out the enemy after 9-11, so it is spiritually with the power of Jesus Christ, we literally have to root out the enemy in our lives or the enemy will destroy us. Now it seems like kind of a trivial and, and a silly way to, to, uh, to in any way um, analogize what I'm talking about this morning, but we're going to talk about college game day and a little bit about what that may have to do with what our job is as Christians. Who we are supposed to be in rooting out the evil around us. The very first time that I had an opportunity to go to an Alabama football game um, was actually opening day in uh, 1994. 1994, my oldest son was six years old, my youngest son was four, and we had just moved to Birmingham, Alabama. And uh, I got one of those free tickets because nobody wanted to go and watch, Ohio, uh, watch Ohio State, there we go, watch Alabama play a high school team, okay? The first game of the year, it seemed like, back then anyway, every first game of the year, they were playing somebody that nobody had ever heard of. It was like, you know, my goodness, it was like South Alabama of, uh, you know, some city. It wasn't, it wasn't South Alabama, the powerhouse. It was South Alabama of, of some other city down there, Mike. And 
<laughs> and so I get this free ticket. These folks said, you know, I'm not going to the game because they didn't want to go to the game and see a 65 to 3 score. And so I took my boys. I said, yeah, this is great. This would be a great experience. We're going to go see our first big time college football game. And so we walked in and looked at the tickets as I was going to the game and realized these are VIP tickets. This is awesome. And so we not only got to go and sit at the 50-yard line, but we got to walk down on the field at the pregame and stand down in the end zone with the players while they're warming up. And so I've got my six-year-old standing beside me, and my four-year-old is up on my shoulders kicking me with excitement. And so already I'm thinking this is going to be a long day. Well, when I looked down at Davey as he was looking out there at these big players, I mean, these guys were monsters. You know, they could fill out this shirt that I can't fill out. And they were massive. And I looked at Davey's face, and he was like, wow. And Jono, even though I couldn't look up and see his face, I asked him later, weren't those guys huge? And Jono just kind of looked at me like, what guys? You know, Jono's perspective was totally different. He was just kind of happy to be there. And Davey was absolutely taking in everything. He was enamored with every moment, every move he saw those players make. In fact, when we got home, he was out there with a football acting out what those guys were doing just in warm-ups. Now, Jono wasn't quite as enamored. And, and, you know, I talked to Brenda about that later, and I thought, you know, Jono didn't seem all that excited. And Brenda looked at me, and she said, well, it was probably all in his perspective. You know, as a four-year-old, his perspective is a little different than a six-year-old. And besides that, he was up on your shoulders. Where Davey had a little bit of fear in his eyes, being down on the field that close to those big guys who were all in pads that at any moment could fall down and take him out. I mean, you know, there was just a little bit of fear. Jono's perspective was, I'm on my dad's shoulders, nothing's going to happen. I'm good. Little did he know that if those guys came my way, I was going to drop him and take off. No, not true. It's all about perspective. And as Tom shared with us just a little bit ago, our perspective sometimes leaks. Even as well-meaning Christians, even as well-meaning ministry leaders, sometimes our perspective leaks a little bit. And what we set out to do, what we feel called to do, we find that we're kind of edging away from that a little bit and maybe moving into a little bit more of a comfort area. The same thing is true in football. If you stop and watch a game, sometimes in the first half, there's no perspective. I mean, in fact, some of these games where these big-time schools are playing little tiny schools and they're supposed to just run all over them and the game at halftime is three to nothing and all the fans are sitting there thinking, oh my goodness, we thought our team was good this year. They must stink. Well, they go into halftime, and guess what happens? The coach gives them a little bit of perspective, and they come out with a renewed game plan, and what happens in the second half? They roll up the score. They score about 45 points in the second half. And so that's what we feel like we have been through recently. Like life, our perspective can become a little bit skewed. We have been on this journey learning what ecclesia really looks like instead of just church, just doing church. What does it mean to really be the church? And when we say that our our total existence is to inspire people to take steps toward Jesus, do we believe that? Or do we believe that our existence is so that we can be comfortable 
as human beings, as Christians. You see, if, if we really believe and we end up at halftime or at the end of the first quarter or something like that and our coach is looking at us and he says, you exist to inspire people to take next steps toward winning, toward Jesus. Can we honestly look our coach in the face and say, yeah, that's my mindset? Or do we have to admit, well, I've kind of, I've kind of become a little comfortable here. You know, it sort of felt good out there playing against somebody that's a whole lot less talented than our team is, and, and I, I've just sort of become comfortable. Yep, coach, I need to redouble my efforts in the second half. Tom mentioned four things. And I just want to, I want to share those four things with you really briefly this morning. And I'm going to ask you right now, if you would, to reach under your chair and pick up the pieces of paper that are under your chair along with a, uh, a Sharpie pen, okay? And if you don't have a Sharpie pen under your chair, then there's one under the chair next to you. And if, uh, if you need to share with somebody, then share with somebody. Because I'm going to ask you to respond, and we're going to do something a little bit interactive here in a few moments. The first thing that we believe God has called us to do in inspiring each other to take ne next steps toward Jesus is follow Jesus. Follow the coach. All right? The coach has the game plan. And whether we agree with the game plan or not, whether it seems like the game plan is, is wow, it's just way out there, we can't accomplish that, we strive toward the goal. And the coach is not Pastor Dave. I want to get that straight right now. Our coach is Jesus Christ. At best, on some days, I may be the quarterback. Other days, I may be sacked and sitting the sidelines and somebody else has to step up and be the quarterback. Okay, because we're all human. But we serve a superhuman, in fact, a supernatural coach. And his name is Jesus, and he has the perfect game plan for us to follow. When Jesus walked on this earth, he told his, his guys, the 12, all right? He told the 12, he said, look, guys, they're going to know you by your love. And he said, my love is perfect. Wow. We talked a little bit about Jesus' perfect love last week. And we talked about the perfect law and how Jesus came to perfect the law through his love and his sacrifice. So while Jesus was here, there was a time just before he went to the cross where he prayed for the twelve. He prayed for the disciples. And then he went from praying for them to praying for all of you, everybody sitting here this morning, all of us down through history that would choose to follow him. He said a powerful, powerful prayer. And I want to share a little bit of that prayer with you this morning. In John 17, 17, Jesus prayed this. He said, sanctify them by your truth. <laughs> sanctify means to set aside, to purify, to make them whole. All right? Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world for for them I sanctify myself that they too may be truly sanctified. So following Jesus means that we have the opportunity to follow according to the living word, his perfect love, his powerful plan. What would it be like if you were sitting there listening to Jesus pray for you 
in that way. What would that be like? I remember as a teenager when I was going through some very rebellious times that I walked past to get to my room. I walked past my mom and dad. They were kneeling in the family room. Kind of a strange thing. Usually, you know, when they did their prayer time, it was in their bedroom and, and you know, behind closed doors. And this particular day, I came walking in and I slammed the door and I was upset because I was usually upset about something as a, as a teenager. I had an anger problem. I was just, I, I was just a crazy teenager. And as I was flying by, I heard mom and dad say my name. My first inclination was I'm going on to my room because I don't even want to talk to them. Then I realized they were saying my name, talking to the Lord. And I'll never forget that day when I heard mom and dad crying out, literally crying, and asking God to give me a change of heart, to speak to me that whatever it was that was causing that anger in my life, Lord, help him to be willing to lay it at your feet. I know that you want to do something with that young man's life. Father, please get to his heart. Wow. Let me just give you a sidelight. You want your kids to be inspired? Be honest before the Lord in front of them. Let them hear you pray for them. I'm not talking about nighttime. I mean, this is important when they're going to bed at night, pray for them. But I'm talking about let them hear you at the dinner table or wherever it may be, asking God to touch their lives, to raise them up to be men or women of God. You want to talk about something that will leave a lasting impression? Dads, moms, let your kids hear you pray with each other and for each other. It's a powerful thing. The disciples heard Jesus praying for them that day. Now here's what I want you to do. I want you to take your Sharpie and I want you to take your piece of paper. And the first thing I want you to do, three words or less, okay? Everything I'm, I'm talking to you about this morning and I want a response on is just three words or less. And I want you to write down, and by the way, holding it up is optional. You don't have to hold it up. I'm going to ask you if there are some that would like to hold it up and let me see your response, not, you know, move it around so everybody else can see it. But just hold it up so that I can see your response and, and I get to be the one that is encouraged this morning. The rest of you, sorry, you don't get to be encouraged. But I get to be the one that's encouraged this morning by your response. If, if you were to say, Lord, I would love to hear you pray for me, your child. And here's what I'd love for you to pray about. Write it on your card. Three big words or less so that I can read it from this distance. mine up if you want to hold yours up hold them up high so I can see them awesome wow we got some people that are passionate about family and people that are passionate about church and country yeah yeah Jesus intercede for us well here's the good news 
The good news is that Jesus himself said, I leave you, I go to the Father where I will sit at the right hand of the Father and I will intercede. Now that's not some fancy word for disappearing. That means he's watching everything we do. His passion, his heart is to pray for us. Go and read the entire chapter of John 17 sometime if you want to read a prayer that is passionate about his people moving forward about following him to the nth degree. Wow! And he is praying and interceding for you and for me right now, this minute, as you sit here and listen to my voice. He's connecting with your heart. After Jesus' resurrection and ascension into heaven, he called people to follow him. One guy that followed him outside of the realm of the 12 disciples, one guy that followed him was a guy that very few people know about. His name was Paul. Uh, He usually has the word apostle in front of his name. But the apostle Paul was one of those who answered the call and followed Jesus. He had a radical experience because he was a radical individual who was going around killing Christians. All right? Paul was a religious leader at that time, but that particular religious group felt like the Christians were tearing the world apart and they were turning the world upside down but they were bringing salvation to the world and Paul and all of his people thought the opposite and so we've got to go out and persecute the Christians so Paul was the likes of the greatest persecutor that this world has ever known and he was out there doing that just picking and choosing and and persecuting Christians he was the enemy the thief who came to steal and destroy And Jesus said, I came that you might live life to its fullest. And Paul had this encounter on the road to Damascus. He had an encounter with Jesus. And so the question I want to ask you this morning, and we're going to dive into this stuff a lot deeper in the weeks to come, but the simple question I want to ask you this morning as it deals with following is this. Why not put all, everything, into following the ultimate coach, Jesus Christ. Why not? Is there a good reason why not to? The second thing that Tom shared with us was about connecting. We were not made to live this life alone, to go through this journey with Jesus Christ alone. John 17, I'm going back there, further into Jesus' prayer, he said, I will remain in the world no longer, But they, the twelve, are still in the world. I'm coming to you, Holy Father. So protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. Have you ever thought about the implications of that? Father, Son, Holy Spirit. One God. One God. And yet three distinct persons. We can't even figure that out. Now let me just pause and ask you this important question. If we could figure it out, would he be worth living for? If we served a God that everybody could figure out and everybody could scientifically just say, well, you know what, the statistics say this and this and this and this and this, and so, okay, I guess I'll believe. If you could do that, would he even be worth serving? He said, I am Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, three distinct entities, and yet we are one God. And don't ask me to tell you how that works. 
because I don't know, but I accept it by faith. And what he's saying is, in those times when you and I don't understand why we can't get along, I mean, when, when you look at that person that you spend your life with and say, why can't they just change? I, you know, this is just crazy. This is nuts. Right now, I don't feel like I'm very unified with that individual. Jesus' prayer is that we will become one the way that they are one. And it's not just talking about husband and wife or interpersonal relationships or anything like that. It's talking about all of us. Ecclesia, his church. We may disagree, but one thing that we've got to agree upon that keeps us united is that we love Jesus with all of our hearts. And by the way, if we don't, then we won't be united. But if you love Jesus with all of your heart and you believe that your very existence is to inspire others to take steps toward him, then we will be unified. Agree on everything? No. Unified? Yes. And I'll just throw this in as a testimony. One of the things that I love about, about our leadership team at Next Church is that we don't agree on everything. And there are times that we have meetings where it's obvious that we don't agree on everything. But the one thing that we do agree on is it's about him and not about me. Not about any of us. And so when we see a direction that we need to go, then we're willing to put me aside and say, yeah, let's go. Because I believe that's what God is calling us to do. So what about Paul? You know, we know what Jesus prayed, so, so how did that affect Paul years later? What were Paul's spiritual life connections? Jesus said, connect them with each other. Oh, wait a minute, Paul had this fabulous, fabulous conversion experience. Why did he need anybody else? He had the Holy Spirit. And there are Christians that walk through life believing that. I don't need to connect with anybody because I'm saved, and I have the Holy Spirit in my life, and I don't need anyone. And then they wonder why they're not victorious in certain areas of their life. Wow, what did I do wrong? Where am I missing it? I'll tell you where you're missing it. We're not connecting. And when you do connect and you spend that time with other Christians encouraging one another and moving forward, that's what we do every, every day. We're looking for the next step to move forward because we're spurring one another on. Paul himself wrote this. He said, spur one another on toward good things. In fact, the, the actual terminology in the Greek is a little stronger word. It's provoke. All right? You ever run into Christians that provoke you? You ever had a pastor that provokes you? This is not a good time for an amen. All right? But that's what Paul said we're supposed to do. We are supposed to provoke each other to move on to better things. Take those next steps. Let me just give you a couple in a rundown. This is just a few people that touched Paul's life. All right, Paul had to connect right away with a guy by the name of Ananias from Damascus because Jesus told Paul, who was then Saul, he said, look, you've been struck blind. He saw the light on the road to Damascus. You've been struck blind. You need somebody to heal you. Well, why don't you just come down and heal me then, Jesus? I saw you. You're the one that made me blind. Just heal me. He wanted him to connect with somebody else. Connections are crucial in our lives. I have a son right now who is finding out how crucial connections are that he made years ago as a teenager. People coming forward, ministering to him in his life. And he's making new connections. 
And I'll tell you what, he's upright and walking today. And he's grieving healthily today because of those connections. I know that. And I believe that. Brenda and I are walking through this as healthily as we possibly can because we have connections with you. We sense your prayer every day. We were not meant to walk this road alone. So you got Ananias, then Barnabas, one of the guys that went on on his first missionary journey with him. Barnabas literally discipled him for three years. Barnabas, among a group of believers that were very mission-minded, were ready to send people out, were ready to go and serve. That's where he spent those three years, Barnabas connecting with him personally. And then they were ready to go on a first missionary journey. Later, two other guys that he went out with, Silas, remember he spent the night with Silas in in a Philippian jail and saw God work in a miraculous way. God works miracles when we connect with others and we pray and we rejoice. They were sitting there singing in their shackles, legs cut to pieces, arms cut to pieces because of the shackles. They were singing praises to the Lord. Earthquake comes, shackles break open, and they sit there and continue to praise. And people got saved that night and found themselves walking toward eternity with God because those two men connected with each other and with Jesus. That's the value of connection. Priscilla and Aquila. There's very little that's said about Priscilla and Aquila except that somehow they gave Paul refuge. They gave him a place, a a roof over his head from time to time. They also are are credited with helping Paul learn a trade so that he could make some money while he was out ministering. He was a tent maker. That was their trade. So Priscilla and Aquila helped Paul. There was connection there and God used that connection. Philemon, who was one of the guys that he writes to later on about his slave Onesimus and he says Philemon we're you know you're a man of God consider letting your slave be free and Timothy who can forget Timothy a young man that Paul himself discipled through his own agony through his own learning through his own time in prison in fact one of the guys when he was in prison for the last time he said please please send Timothy Paul had invested in a young man and he saw fruit from his labor. I got to tell you something, folks. There is no more joy than connecting with people in that way. When you connect and pour into lives and then you watch God use them, there is no greater joy unless it's one of your kids then the joy may be a little greater. So here we go. Sharpie question number two. If you have another sheet under your chair, you can use it or just flip over your current sheet. Some of you only have two sheets because um, pastors don't do math real well. So um, at least this pastor doesn't. So if you only have two sheets under your seat, then uh, grab one from a seat next to you or, or go ahead and write. All right, here's the question. What are the names of three people? Just the first name. Three first names of people who are spiritual life connections for you. All right? Just the first names of three people that are spiritual life connections for you. In other words, people that have encouraged you to take next steps toward Jesus in a powerful way. 
All right, there's my three. Oh, some of you are writing really small. You're doing this on purpose to me, aren't you? <laughs> wow, that's awesome. You just, I mean, if you just had a moment to count these names, the people that have connected, this is so awesome. People connecting with you and then encouraging you to connect with others. Do you see how exponentially, even, even a preacher that's not good at math can see that and figure that out, that that is a road that gets really broad and a road that is powerful, leading somewhere. Oh, we are not designed to do life alone, especially not spiritually. Discover, all right, this is the third word. How do we discover? All right, well, let's see how Jesus prayed for his disciples and prayed for us. He said, my prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. In other words, Father, I don't want you to just take them out of the world. I don't want you to just, you know, help them to, to, to somehow disappear, to somehow just put on this shield that, that keeps them away from, from any risk at all. I want them to be out there risking. I want them to be carrying our name, and I want them to show the world what unity and love looks like. And in the process of that, they're going to have to discover what their gifts are. It's one of the joys of walking with Jesus. Not only does he give us good memories, but he gives you good sight. And I'm not talking about eyesight, I'm talking about heart sight. If you pay attention, you will find ways that only you can make a difference in this world. I believe that. You were created specifically to do this. Dallas Willard says this in his book, Search for Significance. He said, we are built to count for something. As water runs downhill, we are placed in a specific context to count in ways that no one else does. This is your destiny. Our hunger for significance is a signal of who we are and why we are here. And it also is the basis of humanity's enduring response to Jesus. For he always takes individual human beings as seriously as their shredded dignity demands. And he has the resources to carry through with his high estimate of them. You got that? He estimates our value way higher than we do. And here we go. The enemy comes to steal and destroy. The enemy wants to come and steal our self-worth. He wants to destroy us and keep us down. And Jesus says, follow me and we will root out that enemy and you will discover who you were meant to be in me and through me. More than anything else, he wants us to discover how we can prepare ourselves and prepare those around us to spend eternity with him. That's what the church is supposed to be all about. Helping each other discover what it is that Jesus has, he has called you out for. Ecclesia, remember the called out ones. He has called you out for that specific purpose. What were Paul's spiritual life discoveries? Well, there's so many, I really can't even list them. But there were miracles. There were times that Paul was shipwrecked and, 
and survived miraculously. One time he was on an island and there was a deadly snake that, that bit him. And everybody thought, well, he's going to be dead in about five minutes. And instead he survived. There was a healing that took place. One time Paul preached too long. Does that ever happen around here? Paul preached too long. And some guy that was sitting in a window in this standing room only place fell out of the window, broke his neck, and Paul actually walked around, laid hands on him, prayed for him, and he was healed. See, good things can come out of a long, boring sermon. Don't ever underestimate what God can do. Paul had strength in the midst of change. Perhaps one of the greatest miracles was all the negative things that happened to Paul after he started following Jesus. What does the world say? Oh, yeah, look at everything that's happened to you, and here you are following Jesus. Look at all the negative stuff that's going on. You sure this Jesus guy is real? Oh, yes, he is. Yes, he is. And I know that this world is just fleeting. No matter what I may have to, in other people's eyes, give up in order to honor him, he will replace it with things that are unbelievably about peace. Extraordinary peace in our lives. We were created to bring him glory, and nothing brings him glory like discovering how he has designed us to actively defeat evil. That's what we were designed to do through his strength. So here we go. Sharpie question number three. In three words or less, describe a way that you can actively defeat evil evil. Maybe it's just one word, but just describe a way that you have already discovered in your life or that you pray God will use you in, in order to defeat evil that surrounds you. I feel like I'm doing the most damage to evil when I am engaged in these three things. All right? Now, these aren't necessarily exclusive gifts. Some of you may have some exclusive gifts that you believe God is using. Absolutely. Look at that. Well, we've got a whole lot of pray, trust, a whole lot of reading the Word. Awesome. Yeah. Helping others. You know what? It is, it is difficult to... It is difficult to feel any closer to Jesus than when you are helping others. If it comes out of prayer, you know, prayer and spending time in the Word is absolutely the most important thing. But if out of that comes serving others, there is hardly anything that touches your heart and confirms who you are in Jesus than when we are actively doing that. We are designed to be victorious as we discover who it is that God wants us to be. And then finally, serve. Serve. This is where on game day, you know, the coach looks at you and says, guys, get in the game. And can you imagine how how incredibly troubling and yet exciting that is when he turns to the third string quarterback? The other two guys are hurt, and he turns and he says, get in the game. Wow, the butterflies, everything that's that's happening inside of that person at that time. 
and yet the excitement of this is what I have prepared for. This is what I believe God has called me to do. It's game day, folks. It's game day. Look around. Satan's already taken the field. His guys are running up and down and taunting us as Christians. You guys don't really love each other. Shoot. Look at churches. You can't even get along. You've got all these church splits going on. You get upset about one little thing. Maybe it's the color of the carpet. Maybe it's the way the preacher preaches. Maybe it's even a word the preacher said. And what do you do? You walk out the door. The preacher didn't preach the way you wanted him to. Boom. We're out of here. I mean, that's what he's doing. He's walking up and down the sidelines taunting us. Telling us, you don't live up to what you believe. No, we don't. We're all hypocrites. We are all in need of a Savior. And yes, we are all weak at times, but we are taking those next steps every day of our lives, hopefully, toward becoming the winners that He's called us to be. And when we take that field, hypocrites and all, when we take that field and take a knee and say, Coach, I'm following you. That's where the fun begins. I'm here to serve you. Here's what Jesus prayed. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. After Jesus had prayed, may may you, Father, and me and the Holy Spirit be in them. He says, may they also be in us. They not only connect with our heart when we pray, we connect with their heart so that the world may believe that you have sent me. What is it that makes the world believe more than anything else when we connect with his heart and we serve one another? See how they love one another. I'm going to tell you something honestly that, you know, some of you probably won't believe this, but I have gotten to the point, and I've been praying about this, all right? I have prayed about this up until about a month ago, when I had a, 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 just a huge breakthrough. I got to the point where I resented load in and load out, okay? I thought, God, you know, can you just find us a place where we can go and leave our stuff set up? And I was resenting that. And I was praying, and I knew all the right answers. I knew that the reason we're doing this is because God wants us to connect and serve others. I knew that. I know that cognitively. And yet it was, it was Satan walking up and down the sidelines, looking at me, pointing the finger, and saying, yeah, you're not praying hard enough. Yeah, you're not investing enough there, Pastor Dave. That's why your church is still meeting in a, in a gymnasium, and you're having to load in and load out every week. Let me tell you something, folks. God has us here, and I believe this. It's, been about, it's, it's really been about six weeks for me, I guess, where, where I have come to the understanding that God has us here for a reason. And it's not to be looking elsewhere. When he's ready, he'll provide us an elsewhere. Our job is not the elsewhere. Our job is to connect where he has put us, to grow where he has put us. Now, some of you are squirming in your seats saying, well, could we get at least, you know, some more padded seats or something like that? Maybe so. And maybe one of these days the preacher will preach a little shorter. I I apologize for that. But God has us here for a specific reason and I believe he is fulfilling that reason if we will open our eyes I now come on Saturday nights excited I mean shoot by the time I leave here my Fitbit says over 10,000 steps <laughs> what more can you ask for 
That means I don't have to do any other exercise on Saturday. I tell Brenda, look, I don't have to mow the yard because my Fitbit will blow up if I mow the yard and go to load in. So I'm just going to load in, and I'm going to have fun doing it. Don't tell Brenda I said that, okay? Paul's spiritual life serving was this. Paul planted a lot of seeds. There were a lot of seeds that Paul planted that he never saw come to fruition. That may be the way we feel sometimes. Load in, load out, working with kids, working with teens, working in small groups, whatever. There are some seeds that are being planted that you and I may never fully see the results of. But God is at work totally glorifying the one who has called us, the one who is the ultimate coach. If we do that, then I want you to just stop and imagine for just a moment what our lives can look like. If we do that not only at church, but if we do that in our family, if we do that at work, and people recognize us as servant leaders. We're going to watch a video. And let me just set it up for you a second. It's, uh, it's a video about Vince Lombardi. Anybody know you need to set up with Vince Lombardi? You know who Vince Lombardi is? Vince Lombardi was uh, the famous coach of the Green Bay Packers. And the uh, first time that the Green Bay Packers ever won a world championship was under Vince Lombardi. And by the way, it was an Alabama um, quarterback that, that he had at that time, a guy by the name of Bart Starr. And uh, so uh, there's a little bit of Bama in all of us, right, as we celebrate Vince Lombardi. Watch this. Hi, gentlemen. Are you all looking? Are you all on the same track? I decided to bring you out here early for one reason. Because once the regular team gets here, I won't have all the time to look at you as carefully as you'd like to. Now, that gives you fellas a bonus. You get a four-day jump on the guy that you're trying to beat out of the job. Make good use of it. That's a little harsh, but you know what? There's a lot of truth to that. There's a lot of truth to the fact that more than anything else, Jesus saves us so that we can share his message with others. He saves us because he loves us. He saves us because he created us, because we are his children. But he called us through that salvation to minister to the lives of others. So here's what I want you to do is grab that sheet of paper or flip over the one you've already done and I just want you to write in three words or less. Maybe just one word, yes or no. <clears throat> but in three words or less, are you suiting up for the team? Are you ready to suit up for the team? This is like training camp, all right? And, and the rookies are, are all showing up and here comes... One of the veterans just kind of walking in and saying, I know how to do church. 
I know how to do church better than anybody. And it's really easy for us as pastors to have that kind of an attitude. And so I have to put that attitude aside. And the veteran walks in and he says, uh, well, I just came by to see what, what the new recruits look like. And coach says, look, don't come by here and just look. Suit up. Suit up. Let's get active for the kingdom. And what I want you to do, and, and again, please understand, you don't have to lift up your card, okay? But I want you to write down your choice, but I would like to see you write down either a yes or no. Am I willing to suit up? If you're here and you're excited about serving, then you are suiting up. All right? Here we go. Oh, I like that. Put me in, coach. All right. <laughs> All right. Awesome. Oh. Let me just say this. You've seen some people wearing uh, next church, uh, next shirts, and if you did not get one, um, I want to make sure that you have a uniform so you can suit up, okay? So just stop by the table that's right out here by the Next Steps table after, or it's not Next Steps, is it? It's guest services now. The guest services table. And uh, see there? Pastor's already forgotten the language. So stop by the guest services table and uh, make sure that you have a uniform so that you can suit up. I'm excited about these next four weeks together. We're going to have some fun. And we're going to hit the field and we're going to be effective. Would you stand as the band sings? Thank you.